This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, concerns, or and happy Father's Day, Eve. It's not Father's Day until tomorrow, but anyway, happy Father's Day. And uh, Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes, sir. I understand that you're going to take over the garden hotline. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Since you can, since you have pansies blooming in your garden <laughs> when it's boiling hot, and you're telling me you're rubbing it in my face, and I'm I'm crying. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> oh, Mike. No you know, pansies. you just got to keep them in the shade and keep them watered. We had a couple that were uh, in these little concrete pots, and they looked dead and gone a month or two ago, and they're they're back again. They're kind of you know, there's little yellow flowers are beautiful. So uh, mm. and we've got some others that are kind of in the shade, I guess, enough. I don't know. And I water them. I've been watering everything every day, of course. Right. And, uh, yeah, they still look bright and pretty. So Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, congratulations on the Garden Hotline. Well, thank you. So it's all yours. Uh, water it. <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> That's very important. If you want real answers, call Mike Miller. Here's his number at home. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, thanks, Brian. And Saturday morning, we get together and have a discussion about what's impacting your pansies. All you need to do is call the newsroom and ask Brian Kelly what he does with his pansies. And what's going on in your front yard, your side yard? How about that specialty garden space? Uh, The taste of the tropics, your houseplants. Oh, couple of mine, I thought I had them sitting in a location that was going to be fully shaded. But as the sun migrates north here in summertime, uh, oops, there's some, some, com- some sun coming through. And uh, I scalded some of the leaves on some of my tropicals. Anyway, what is a potting mix and how to improve your soil? Should you be pruning now? Should there be bugs and diseases? Uh, using information that I'll give to you. And my thoughts and orchestrations will hopefully open or solidify your options, obviously with this final judgment on your part on which action you choose to take. And this is your show, by the way. And if you were not there, I would not be here. So thank you for being there. And uh, you can invite me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player is Cole. Cole's sitting in for Alex today. Alex, this is his birthday, so happy birthday, Alex. And Cole's here and... 
He's all excited about the garden hotline. Oh, Cole, wake up, please. Oh, I'm Mike Miller, and I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I can come to your home and do landscape consultations if you'd like for me to do a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and on the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. This past week, I went to a home in, like, the more historic part of Belleville, and these people have created, like, an island a tropical island in the middle of just a regular street and everything else. That's what they've done with this, you know, their landscape and everything else and the trees they've planted. It's just, it was unbelievable. When you sort of drive down the street, I always drive by the house that I'm going to and then park and then walk back so I can get a better feel for it. But this was tropical paradise for sure. The husband had a Hawaiian shirt on just to, you know, to prove prove that. But anyway, it was a very unique circumstance. These people love it, and they've really done a fantastic job uh, with everything they've chosen to do, all the houseplants they take in and everything else. But anyway, I get to see some very neat homes when I get to do the good gardening stroll. No, not the good gardening stroll, the walk and talk in your landscape. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Where am I? I look around. I look at the signs. Oh, Broadway, 4th, and Shoto, where they all come together. Underneath historic train trestles. A unique parking lot. A bumblebee visits some yellow flowers of a hypericum that's in bloom right now. There's a weeping locust tree with neighboring daylilies and iris and peonies. There's a stormwater intake there, which is decorated with boulders and large rocks. And there's milkweed growing in there and purple cone flowers. Ornamental grasses, among other things, too. There's purple sand cherries. Some uh, strapped back into the, held back so people can park their cars in this parking lot. It's actually a little bitty parking lot that's underneath the train trestle. So it's kind of a unique circumstance. There's a black cyclone fence which is home to a huge clematis vine. I can't tell which variety it is because this particular one wasn't blooming right now. My guess is it might be the fall-blooming clematis, but I don't know that for sure. And uh, there are some golden sumac there with that really cool, neat, fine texture. And uh, that's near the exit gate. There's some newly installed blooming clematis right now. It hasn't grown enough to reach to the fence yet, but soon it will be there. And uh, there's a reserve parking area, which is dressed up with peonies, different varieties of clematis, shasta daisies, trumpet creeper vine, weeping cherry, blooming wisteria, monarda showing off its red blooms. They've planted white oak tree, a holly, and a purple beech tree in this area, too. And uh, there's a row of little leaf boxwood there to add an accent. A trio of burning bush is in there as well. I'll tell you, this is really quite the, I don't know how how this parking lot happened or anything else, but it's so well-maintained, it's unbelievable. And there's a sort of a lot right behind it in between the next building, and that is really well-maintained too. So I don't know if, obviously this is somebody's personal property, and I guess they rent out these parking spaces. I don't know exactly what's going on, but... The sounds of the trains and the highway and all the birds of all different sorts. It was just kind of a unique place to take a good gardening stroll. So if you do have any questions, 
314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We'll be back after these messages. Yes, folks, to the phones we go, and we're going to start off in West County in Mary's Yard. Hi, Mary, how are you? Hi, Mike. Um, I have a zoysia backyard, uh-huh. and I'm getting these brown patches. So I thought rather than wait for the zoysia to be ready, I would try seeding it. It's not coming up. Now, and it's, in, it's not, it's in various places, and I can't figure it out. Um, should I do a soil test? Well, so right, I've, I've been. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't know what, what to how to approach it. Well, first of all, zoysia seed doesn't do all that well here. It's very difficult. Well, it, the seed I put down is not zoysia seed. Oh, it's just. And but I thought rather than waiting for the zoysia patches to be ready, because you usually can't get those till July, so I thought rather than wait until they're available, I would just seed it with yeah. regular grass seed. Well, you could it's do that. Up. Yeah, I mean, the garden centers have the zoysia now, so you can get it okay. and put the plugs in. So just put individual plugs in the spot. Well, you certainly, if you've never had a soil test done, I would recommend getting one. But that may not be. There's several different things could be causing this. It could be a fungus. It could be insects. There's something called a chinch bug, and they do damage to zoysia grass. So. The only way to find that is have a magnifying glass, get down on your hands and knees, and look at one of those sort of like dead spots and try to see if you see some stuff on right on the perimeter where it's going from the dead look to the green to see if you can see some insects there, see if you can see some, let's say, funky-looking stuff on the grass blades, that sort of thing. But the soil test is a you know, good idea. Soil test is not a good idea. It is a good idea. It is a good idea. Right. Okay, is there any place locally I can take soil without sending it to University of Missouri? Well, you can take it into Kirkwood, and there's an extension office there, and drop it off there, and then they'll send it down to Columbia. In Kirkwood? Right. Do you know where that is? I mean, I know where Kirkwood is, but do you know? Yeah, it's, you know, you probably can go online and find out the exact I want to say it's on Monroe, but I'm not positive. It's near the train station, I know that, but beyond that, you know, that's about as much okay. as I hate to say it's on Monroe okay. and then you call next week and say it wasn't on Monroe. But that's anyway. okay. Well, now if you do a sample, what's the best way to do a sample? Several different locations, not necessarily just the dead area spots. You're just trying to find out the overall picture of what's going on in your lawn. So you don't want to get any grass. You don't want to get any grass root systems. So you kind of peel back a piece of sod, get about an ice cream scoop full out of about six or seven different locations, put it in a Ziploc, and then that's what you're going to submit. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate your help. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah, it's a, I mean, lawns are tough here. There's no getting around it because we're at that transition zone where the cool season lawns go, they crash during the heat of the summertime. And then Zoiza loves the heat of the summertime, but during the wintertime it's tan and it does have some problems just related to our weather. So anyway, let's go now to uh, out to Union and go into Joyce's yard. Hi, Joyce. Hi, Mike. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I, I bought four Blue Point junipers about two months ago, and about four feet tall, and I'm wondering what to do with watering them. How much water do they need? How long ago did you buy them? 
About two months. Okay. So they're probably somewhat well-established. But if we go, if we have a two-week period where you're not getting at least an inch of rain, then I would run a hose out to each individual one, put it kind of at the base of where the trunk's going into the ground and or into its root ball, actually. And consequently, then just put it at a trickle and do that about, you know, every couple weeks and probably run it at a trickle for maybe 40, you know, 30 to 45 minutes or so. That should soak it well. Junipers are really tough as far as, you know, the ability to withstand dry conditions. But when they're a newly installed plant, which two years old is newly installed, they don't have enough root system, even if there is adequate water. So you're, you're trying to, you know, kind of compensate but uh, you know it's gonna it's gonna be tough on them. But they're you know like I said they're tough and durable. Right, they're not two years old though. They're only six weeks, two months. Right, two months. So Did two I say two old. years? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you've oh, I, you install them two months ago. Months ago. Right. Right. And I don't know how. And at four feet, you know the cuttings they could be you know a couple years old for sure. The cutting right. or the plants that you bought. Right. Okay, so that's what I need you. Is it better to do that in the evening, morning or evening? Uh, it doesn't really matter because you're not watering the needles or anything. You're just watering the ground, so it doesn't make any difference. So if we don't have an inch of rain every week, I should do this? Yes. Okay, great. Thank you very much. And then after they get it, you know, after we get through this summertime, then they should, the root system should be well-established enough that you should not have to do this again. You know, it's just because they're newly installed, only two right. months old. Right. They're babies. Yes, very much. Okay. Thank you very much, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head up to Overland and go into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. How are you this morning? Very good. Good. Mike, uh, first of all, I wanted to make a comment that my hydrangeas and roses this year are the best they've been probably in a decade. Is there some reason for that? I mean, it seems like that's all over the, the whole region. Yes, it's just basically our, you know, let's say our late winter all the way through springtime was ideal weather to make it. So the extension on blooms, staying on plant material and blooming has been just phenomenal. This is probably the best spring aesthetically that I can ever remember. Exactly. And the only problem I have, though, now that I have these beautiful hydrangeas blooming, I have slugs. Ooh. And I have never had slugs in many, many decades. Could you please tell me how to get rid of them? Well, there's slug bait that you can, I mean, sprinkle on the ground. And if you want to, if you want to do it kind of, I don't want to say the hillbilly way, but you can take a bowl of beer or not, a, you know, like a regular, like, pretty short bowl and fill it up with beer and put it underneath the shrubs and the slugs are drawn to the beer. And then once they get in there, they can't, you know, they're stuck. And then you just dump them out. Does it have to be kind of a low wind uh, bowl so they they can crawl into it? Yeah. So it's easy. It doesn't have to be like a, a plate or, you know, a sauce or anything like that. It can be a small bowl with, let's say, one inch side or something, but apparently the smell or something, I don't know exactly how they're, why they're drawn to it, but they're drawn to it. And I'm surprised that, you know, you've had never had slugs before because they can't just kind of come out of nowhere. Well, that's probably because I never knew what they were. Or oh, okay, <laughs> right. But, uh, 
this is just what I needed. Thank you very much, and yeah. thanks so much for having this program. Well, but. thank you for having me on your show. Remember, if you weren't there, I wouldn't be here. So thank you. Well, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. <laughs> but you can go to your favorite garden center and get some slug bait, and what you do is you just sprinkle that on the ground, and when the slug are, slugs are drawn to that, and then it will kill them that way. So that's what you try to do. Slugs are really kind of gross. Let's go now to Brighton, Illinois, and into Kelly's yard. Hi, Kelly. Good morning. Um, got a couple questions for you. We've got a spot in our front yard um, several years ago. A contractor set a dumpster there, mm. and um, we have not been able to get much grass to grow there since. It's basically a weed patch. Um, we have done a soil test and bought some fertilizer. Um, not sure when to put that down, if we need to try to get rid of the weeds first or what, how we should go about that. Well, basically, yeah, getting rid of the weeds first. But also, if, you, if a dumpster was sitting there, it may be just, you know, it may be nutrient-related. It may be related to several things, but it might, probably is more related to soil compaction. So the weight of the dumpster compact the soil down so much, that's why— Normal grass that potentially could grow there, even if you fertilize it, put new grass seed out, put sod. If this, if you don't work that soil up first, then you're kind of keep spinning your wheels and may not have any really good luck with this. Okay, so do we? If we get a tiller, yes, and till it up, is that the way to start? Yeah, get a till, get a couple, you know, get some compost or a topsoil compost mix, a blend, something like that. Mix it in. You know, lay it on like two or three inches and then blend that in with a rototiller into the existing soil where you're having these problems. Then just be patient and go after the weeds that are going to come up because you know you're going to have weeds. And then don't just kind of live with it as it is. And then in the, you know, in late August, early September, uh, all the way up until early October, that's when you can either put some new seed out if you have a cool season lawn. And if you got a warm season lawn like Zoiza, then you're not going to really be able to do too much. Okay. So um, when we did the soil test, it said that there was the nitrogen and the phosphorus was pretty well depleted. So the fertilizer we got is supposed to be good for that. Right. So do we till it up and put the fertilizer in with the compost, or do we wait? I would wait. And... Every soil test is going to indicate nitrogen is lacking because nitrogen only stays in the ground for a few days and then it becomes airborne. It shoots up into the air. And then only when there's lightning strikes does the nitrogen come back down. So, and, but the did you say phosphorus or potassium? If one of those is lacking, then you, that's the last two numbers in a bag of fertilizer. So you probably know okay. that. Okay. All right. So for, for right now, then the best thing to do would be till it up with the compost right? and then kind of wait to see as the weeds come back up and just Go after try to get them. the roots out and pull them up and out of there or put something on to kill them. Exactly. Whichever way you choose, either using an herbicide or, you know, physically removing them. Okay. And then come fall, put in the fertilizer and then grass seed. Exactly. Okay. All right. Um, my other question is a much quicker one, I think. Um, I've had daylilies in my landscaping for years. They've always been nice, but then the last two years, they come up really green, and the foliage looks really nice, and then they just turn brown. And I got almost no blooms on them. They're completely brown. So the foliage turns completely brown, huh? 
Yeah, and I've got a neighbor not too far down the road, and theirs did the exact same thing. Wow. You know, I'm not exactly sure what that is because, I mean, this spring was almost perfect for all, you know, all perennial plants. So, I mean, the foliage came up, it looked robust. What happens to, you know, what's happening to it, it's, you know, a little difficult to kind of determine. Unless they're right along a road or something like that where it might be just the the pavement or something got so warm that it just more or less is baking the root system. But if okay, it's a, no, they're pretty far off the road. Okay. So I wondered if, I mean, I've probably had them in there, I don't know, 15 years maybe. Yeah, it may be an Would age be? factor. But usually if it's an age factor, the foliage will still look good, but they just will stop flowering as much. Okay. But I so, would I would dig you know I dig a you know part of the clump up and shake all the existing soil off of it and take a look at the root system and see you know how much root system there is there. Okay, all right. So if it looks like the root system's not that great anymore, then probably the best thing to do is replace them. Right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your help. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, back to the phones, and we're heading out to Chesterfield, and let's see what's going on with Carol's yard. Hi, Carol. Hi. Um, I have a big stand of hollyhocks, which started out as a small stand, but I kind of like them, so I've let them fill up this one space. However, right now they are fried. Is it normal for them to not um, keep blooming throughout the summer or well, they're not extended bloomers by any means. I mean, they're like okay. the classic perennial. And they're also biennials. They'll push out just foliage one year, and then the next year they'll flower. And then once once they flower, then that kind of kaputs it, and then they come up, uh, you know, f- from the root system. Okay. Okay. Um, so, and then the fact that they're getting really brown right now is normal? Pretty much. I mean, it just, this year kind of... Sequentially, they should be blooming now. This would be the the peak time. But the way the weather was earlier, some of the ones even in our neighborhood, people that live across the alley, there's were I mean they're striking right now, and the foliage looks good, everything looks good, dark, 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 purplish flowers. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I've already they've gone through that already. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> so consequently, you know, usually it's going to be more in the summertime as opposed to a little bit earlier, like what's, you know, which I saw yeah. some earlier blooming too, which kind of surprised me. So would it hurt to cut them back to let something else come in there? No, that's them? fine. Once once any okay. kind of perennial or anything, once the foliage starts turning brown, it's pretty much cooked. So in other words, it's not going to be making any more food to build up, let's say, the root system or okay. the health of the plant or the crown for the future. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Yep. My pleasure. And now let's head to Centralia and see what's going on with Bill. Hi, Bill. I'm Mike. How are you today? Very good. Uh, I have two questions. I have 50 strawberry plants, and they were shipped late by a famous producer. And uh, I got them in the middle of May. So they're so should I keep? Should I every time I water them? Should I fertilize a little bit with them? I know you don't need to do that every time. Now, are these? 
which variety are they? Are they ever bearing? So in other words, you get strawberries all summer long, or they're no. June bearing. If they're June bearing, they've basically finished, fly, you know, fruiting. Yeah, well, they're June bearing. They're these are brand new fifty brand new plants. Right. So, so one is a jewel, and and one is an all star. So if if they're a June bearing, then uh, just kind of just keep them healthy, just kind of in general. Okay. And then the second thing is, uh, we talked about the rhubarb last time I called. Should I put some fungicide on that? It seems like it's spreading like Grand Richmond. <laughs> you could well once it's there, you could go ahead and do it to try to let's say arrest it from getting any worse. So yeah, go ahead and do it. Just make sure that you're, you know that the fungicide you're using is going to be adequate to take care of the problem on your rhubarb. And should I, uh, should I, I should keep it really watered? Yeah, well, you don't have to overwater. They're not like tomatoes by any means. But, uh, yeah, this year has been extremely dry since we kind of came out of, you know, we're still into spring. We still have another week or so of spring yet. But uh, the last three or four weeks have been, I mean, the ground is so dry you try to drive, even a shovel into it, it's really difficult. So, yeah, you don't want them to go through any kind of, let's say, extreme drought circumstance. Okay, thank you very much, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head to Collinsville from Centralia and see what's going on with Doug. Hi, Doug. Hi, Mike. I got a question for you. Uh, my yard's zoysia, and I got crabgrass starting to come up again. Uh, what is the best? thing I can put down to eliminate the crabgrass that won't hurt the zoysia. Basically, crabgrass is coming back from seed. So what you need to do is put down a pre-emergent earlier in the spring because crabgrass is a cool or a warm season annual weed. And so what you want to do is the pre-emergent will kill it as the seed is germinating. And it won't impact your zoysia whatsoever because your zoysia is coming back from the root system. Okay, now that has to be put down in the spring, so yes. there's nothing I can do for it now? Nope. I mean, you can use crabgrass killer now. Just well, make... I don't want to hurt the zoysia. I haven't gotten out there, you know, and I'll pull up my hand and uh, and stuff when it comes up. And sure. did really good like that, pulling up my hand. It's not real bad. I just can't stand the stuff. And uh, <laughs> so there's nothing I can really put down now. I have to wait the next spring. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there are crabgrass killers, but you have to read, you know, always read the label with any kind of herbicide because when we're getting into the heat of the summertime, herbicides can do some damage. Even if it says on the label, it won't do any damage to whatever it happens to be, zoysia or whatever. So, I mean, it's just up to you whatever you want to do. But uh, just be cautious when it's this hot and dry using any kind of herbicide on anything. Okay. I'll just go by hand again this year and wait till spring and get a pre-emergent sun. Right, exactly. And the pre-emergent goes down when the yellow forsythia is in bloom in your neighborhood. Okay. All right, thank you. Yep. And, and uh, I mean, that's good, but, I mean, not everybody knows where yellow forsythia is in bloom and blah, blah, blah. You can always get a soil thermometer. When the soil temperature gets above 50, that's when, or right at 50, that's when the pre-emergent goes down. So. Thank you, and now let's head up to Edwardsville and see what's going on with Julie. Julie, how are you? Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Mike, before I get to my question, I would like you to please caution all your listeners that 
some slug bait is very attractive to dogs, and it's also lethal for them. Mm. Dogs okay. will eat slug bait, Yuck. and it it goes it does something to their nervous system. Oh my! So you have to be very cautious with it. Thank you for that insight. The, the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about is I accidentally mowed down my oldest and best peony bush. And I want to know, one, is there any hope that it will ever come back? And two, it's mowed all the way down to where the grass is. Should I water it or just leave it or say a prayer and put a stone over it? <laughs> well, you could do that, but you probably don't need to. Uh, so it went ahead and flowered. So when did you mow it down? Earlier in the spring before it flowered? no. no. After it flowered. Oh, then you're fine. You should. It should be back next year. Can, Obviously, I water. Uh, I mean, you could do some additional watering if you want to, but historically, if you've not done that, it's you know it's probably pretty healthy. If it's old, it's aged, and everything else, it wouldn't hurt to go out and you know pour a bucket of water on it every you know every let's say week or so. But other than that, you don't have to worry too much. Mike, thank you so much. You, I can't tell you how. Much better you've made me feel. I was really <laughs> sick when I did that. Well, I thank you for the you know the insight on the slug bait. Oh, Mike, thank you. Keep cool. Sure. Cool and calm. Thank you. And Mike Miller, KM Walks Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Crystal City is where Mary lives. Mary, how are you today? I'm fine, sir. How are you? Very good. Great. My question is about plumeria. I bought four uh, about 17 years ago. They were about seven inches, and now they're seven feet tall. Right. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the um, leaves are gorgeous, but only two have ever bloomed. Really? Uh, yes, sir. So um, any suggestions about getting them to bloom? What product should I use? So you're not doing, you've not fertilized at all or anything? Oh, yes, yes. I have fertilized just with the ordinary flower fertilizer that I use on the rest of my garden. Right. It's, that should be adequate. I don't know why they're not flowering, but uh, you might just try just, you know, get a different type of fertilizer and see, you know, look at the numbers okay. of the one that you're using. Get something with some different numbers rather than the nitrogen being, which is the first number, Get that low and get the other two numbers a little bit higher. All right. Okay. And just see what happens. All right. And then my set. Thank you. And then my second question is my fox. Uh, all of the lower leaves are brown. The tops look fairly healthy, so I think they'll bloom, but they're not very attractive. Uh, any suggestions there? So this is a tall flocks. This is not the ground cover flocks, correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah, it's uh, flocks has kind of a lot of fungus problems, powdery mildew and things like that. So uh -huh. I guess that's probably what has impacted them. But uh, for the most part, they haven't bloomed yet because most of the flocks that I've seen in the neighborhood have already, they've at least started to bloom. But yours is not doing no. anything? No, and the tops are very healthy. You know, they've got a lot of, looks like, young green leaves, uh -huh. uh, light green leaves. Um, and I did spray them with the fungus, but you're right. They do have the fungus. Right. 
There's no um, getting you can't avoid that. Even if you do everything possible, it's just one of those things. That's one of those plants that has you know problems with the powdery mildews and different things. But uh, other than you know, it sounds like you're doing everything you possibly can. Okay, well, I'll keep on doing it yeah. then. <laughs> All right, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, it's tough because I mean, our weather every year is different, and some years. Like I said, earlier in the year, this was a spectacular year, and now things are having lots of problems. So let's go to Debbie's, and she lives in South County. Debbie, how are you? Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you for your show. I appreciate it. I have a couple questions. I have three evergreens in my backyard that are back by the woods. One of them is turning almost completely brown. How do I know the difference between if they're diseased or if they are just because of the dry winter that we had. The dry winter would not turn an evergreen brown this quickly. So okay. it's either that or just the simple fact that it's in a heavily shaded area and it's just no longer able to function in that situation. It's it's like old. It's probably like a 20-year-old evergreen. Yeah. It's, you think? Well, 20 years is not all that. Probably. Yeah, 20 years is not all that old, but my guess is it's competing with the root systems of all the roots of the trees that are part of the woods and everything else, and it's just it's lost the competition. Okay, and my second question is uh, um, wild violets. I have a lawn service that I have gotten two conflicting comments. One told me, they need to treat it early in the spring, and another person at the same place told me they need to treat it in the fall. <laughs> Any ideas? I'm going to believe you. They, they like they one section of my yard. They have almost completely taken over. Yeah, I would say treat them as soon as you see them. You know, treat them in the fall. Oh. That's fine. I mean, their their violets are tough to get under control, but uh, depends right. upon. I mean, any kind of herbicide that they're putting down. It's interesting that a company. F- People from the same company would say conflicting type things. I would say they should be treated almost constantly. Let's put it that way. Okay. Not necessarily just okay. once a year, spring or fall or this or that. Whenever you see them, go after them. Okay. All right. Thank you for your opinion. Sure. I appreciate it. <laughs> Have a good day. Yeah, Bye. my pleasure. Yeah, there's certain weeds that are just real. they're tough. I mean, there's no getting around it. And you can't just kind of say, well, we just do an application one time. If you've got a lawn service and they should be taking care of this situation, if they have to come back a couple times and it, maybe it will cost you a di- little bit different, you know, expense-wise, but you got to just keep on top of them. And then just, I mean, the violets are just vicious. I mean, they can come back from root systems. They can come back from, they have this little seed head right where the stems go into the ground and that pops open and drops seeds. So, and then of course, I mean, which is impossible for the most part. People, you can hand dig them, but uh, they are just a vicious, vicious weed more so than any other one. So, anyway, we do have uh, the news coming up at the top of the hour. So, 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. See you after the news. Yes, folks, garden hotline tip of the trial hour, and that's this hour, and I'll be giving that shortly, but right now you can give us a call at 
436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And we've got several people online already, but uh, got one or two lines open. And, Mr. Kelly, so when you're off today, you're headed straight home and out into the yard? Uh, Well, I'll probably nap first. Oh, really? But uh, I will go out later on and and do some watering and check the, the electric fence. The electric fence. Yes, because uh, something is is hitting it at night now. They've broken a couple of the the uprights, the posts I have in the ground. What? Yeah, went out yesterday, and there are two of them that were bent over. So they're fighting back. Whoa. Did you hear Kevin Colleen's version of my raccoon story? No. I'll play it for you later. It's pretty good. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. I thought uh, you used BB gun. (laughs) Well, I had the BB gun, but it doesn't scare them, and I'm not a very good shot. Uh, (laughs) The electric fence, it got the one and got them good, but I, I, something is, it could be cats. You know, we got some cats, you know, that come up, and they've actually gotten the squirrels. We've had one cat eat two squirrels. What? Yes. But they got to stay away from the birds. That's I don't care. They can eat the squirrels. I don't care. But but when they get the birds, that's when they get in trouble. So that's why the electric fence is out. Wow. Yes. You're a tough guy. And sometimes you just got to say enough. <laughs> yes. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. And enough. So, oh, and I changed the name of the raccoon, by the way. Oh, really? He was Rocky. He's now Sparky. <laughs> Yes, folks, thanks for having me on your show. And we can discuss plant selection, caring for, ups and downs and all around of Ryan Kelly's pansies, which are still in bloom and look perfectly good. Or those daffodils where the foliage is already brown. Should you cut it off? Yes. And how about your summer bulbs, your caladiums, your cannas and everything else? Oh, yes. Edibles, ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water guards. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board is Cole. He's sitting in producing today, so he answers the phone and pushes all the buttons. He pushes the buttons, yeah. And uh, during the week, I spend my time doing landscape consultations, and I do it on the weekends. So today I'm headed over to Fairview Heights, and I'm going to check out some roses. A gentleman's had... He won a rose contest in 19, uh, or a couple contests over the years, but best roses of 2019, and now his roses have got some problems, so he's having me come over and take a look, see what I think. And what you can do is go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage has my phone number, email address, and you can contact me, and we'll set up a time where I can come to your home. Tip of the trials, a special recognition for individual group or situation this made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. First of all, John Massick. John Massick passed away this last week. John Massick was, he has had a huge impact on the whole horticultural industry for multiple years. So it was, you know, I was sorry to see that, you know, his passing, but uh, to be honest with you, he was 91. That doesn't mean he should have passed away, but he had a very full life, and he really made a huge impact on the horticulture industry just in general. And so a tip of the trial goes out to him. And this is kind of a special tip of the trial. With Father's Day tomorrow, Tracy's father, Harold A. Thomas, Jr., he was the Army Air Force in World War II. And she, Tracy remembers seeing his bomber's jacket was always hanging downstairs underneath the steps. And it had an insignia patch on it that looked like a flying hippo. 
and it didn't she didn't know what it was and but after all the years of research she found out it was a 16th combat bomber squad in in the Pacific Ocean area and they won many awards and what Tracy then did is she made a replica we found a hippo a little model hippo and we put a military hat on we I attached a bomb bomb to its side and then we have a world globe that is kind of sets the tempo for the whole hippo circumstance. So her father was also an officer, and he taught navigator math as well. So, And the interesting thing was, too, that he was in Guam, and when I was in the Air Force, I was in Guam. I didn't fly, but I did the uh, air intelligence for the bombers during the Vietnam War as they flew six hours each direction from Guam back to Vietnam. And so that was kind of a circumstance. So tip of the trial goes out to Tracy's father. And my father was a Navy ship's signalman. So he did the lights and the flags to inform other ships in his Pacific fleet of necessary information related related to any and all impacts, aspects, and weathers, and special war scenarios and everything else. So tip of the trial goes out to Tracy's father and my father. So appreciate it. if it wasn't there if they weren't there we wouldn't be here either without anyway that's too screwy but uh so tip of the trial and to everybody you know for father's day tomorrow it should be great fun and this is the last day of spring so enjoy the heat while you can enjoy the spring and then tomorrow it's going to be really hot because it's going to be summertime but anyway enough of this stuff and again a special mention of john Massick who Industry-wise, he has he had a huge impact just on the horticulture industry. He was just a great person and a very knowledgeable person, so he will be missed. Mike Miller, KM West Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, back to the phones. Yes, and we're headed to Kathy's yard, and she lives in Winsville. Thanks for hanging on, Kathy. Oh, yes. It was interesting, <laughs> especially about the raccoons. Uh, <laughs> I have a question about trees. Okay, so we had to replace two redbud trees we had previously put in by the, uh, uh, you know, tree people mm-hmm. and um, the center. And so anyway, they both, they didn't make it. So we had to have two new ones put in, which is not a good time uh, because of the heat. So right. um, they told us to water them. Now, my question is... Um, how often we watered them every day now for like um, the last week, just for a half an hour each. That's right. so probably I do that for another week. Okay, but and another thing is they said to use a fertilone fertilizer. Uh, I haven't used it yet because I'm thinking it. You know, fertilizer and heat. I, I don't know, but uh, if I should start using it or wait, I would say don't fertilize. You know, in the summertime, you're gonna. F- potentially force some growth. By fertilizing now, it takes a while before the fertilizer is going to dissolve, before the plant root system is going to be able to absorb it and uptake it. And then we're going to be heading into a time where the, your new redbud trees are going to be wanting to go dormant. And this fertilizer is going to p- maybe push them to the point where they're not going to go dormant. Then that's going to set up a scenario where there could be some winter damage as a result of growth late in the season, which should have never happened, but the fertilizer could have tricked it, triggered it. 
Yeah, so that was that was kind of funny that they told us to fertilize. Yeah, that was surprising. This time of year, that yeah. doesn't make any sense at all. <clears throat> no, I kind of, you know, anyway, you never know what information you're getting. So I'm glad I, has, I had, was hesitant because I know fertilize and heat, and I thought, mm, okay, so then when do you fertilize these trees? Basically, any time as we go into, let's say, the new year. So sometime after, let's say, uh, Mid-January all the way up through mid-March, anytime during that period. Okay, okay, like going into spring. Right, exactly. So we're coming out of winter, and if you do it too early on, it could be so dissolved and it could be past the tree root system and may miss it. So that's why you want to do it as the days start warming up a little bit, even though it's still cold in wintertime. Okay, okay. So another question is, when you do fertilize, even with plants, I water a little bit, and then I fertilize, and then I water a little bit more, mainly to so that it doesn't burn. Uh, is that correct? Or No, that's fine doing it that way. Are you using yeah. liquid fertilizer or are you using granular? No, liquid. Okay, so with the liquid, it's not as essential. With the granular, it definitely is. Okay, okay. And so another question. Um, I have a tulip tree that is at least seven years old, and it's gotten so tall, but seems like the base of it's not as fat <laughs> or circumference. But anyway, it's really tall, and it did beautiful with the, you know, we got the flowering and everything. But uh, it's getting uh, brown, le- uh, yellow leaves on it. So I know it's a lack of water. So now I watered that. I just let the sprinkler go all around so that a good hour or so. So I think it's from the heat that these leaves are coming, you know, on it. Yeah, I Is think that, you're you know, right. Yeah, so just just water it once or twice a week. Or, no, 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 or, that's too much. If this, how long has this tree been in the ground? Seven years. Yeah, so you don't have to do it. Probably just every couple of weeks should be adequate enough if we're not having an inch of water. But it should okay. be you know well established enough that the leaf the leaf drop and stuff like that's going to happen regardless of how much watering you do. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, that was good to know. Okay, thank you for your time. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go from Kathy in Wentzville to Linda in Oakville. Hi, Linda. Hi, Mike. Hi. I was calling about the day lilies. The same thing happened to mine, and I hit a rose bush close to them that got an infestation of aphids. So I sprayed the rose bush with seven, and that went away. And then the next thing I know, my day lilies are turning brown. So I thought, well, they needed water. I took a closer closer look at them and they were totally uh, hit totally infestation of aphids on them just eaten up aphids everywhere aphid eggs the whole thing so I'm I think I'm going to remove them because they're they're probably you know with no green leaves on them they're not going <laughs> to have anything to feed the bulbs but it was really weird because I have another fancier day lily right under that rose bush and it was fine i sprayed it anyway to just kind of preventative but i was just calling to tell that lady maybe take a look a really close look because i couldn't believe it i never saw aphids attack day lilies before yeah i've never I have quite a few clumps of them all over the yard but they were completely covered with them man especially it especially down at the base you know where they come out of the ground but up the stems were, you know, the little white, I guess, eggs or whatever they are, mm-hmm. and then live, you know, aphids crawling around all at the bottom. Goodness gracious. Total mess. <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. Yeah, that sounds creepy. <laughs> yeah, it really was. It was really <laughs> aggravating. So 
Yeah, well, anyway, I've never, but... you know, I always, you know, sort of like assume or, you know, known or whatever. Daylilies were one of those sort of insect problematic free plant materials that you can pretty much, you know, use in lots of different scenarios. But to have that many aphids attacking it, that's really surprising. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen anything like that. Right. So just calling, you know, tell her maybe look at that and see because, you know, like I say, they're totally, the plants, you know, are totally brown now. Oh. And I don't, I don't know if there's any, com- maybe, and I don't know if that's what happened to hers. I'm surprised that they would come back from that, like, you know, I said, not having any green foliage on them to feed the bulbs. Right. So. I have some I want to move from another location, so I'm just going to try that, get rid of the ones that are out there that are bad, you know, put the new ones out there and maybe spray them too <laughs> just to keep make sure the aphids don't get them. But love the show. Well, thanks. And uh, have a good rest of your weekend. All right, you do the same, and thanks for having me on your show. Now let's go from Linda's to Mary, and Mary lives in St. Louis. Hi, Mary. Hi. Thanks Hi. for taking my call. Sure. Um. So I have a kind of a weird question, which is, uh, oh, years ago, uh, my family bought, they wanted to buy a dwarf, uh, a dwarf Japanese maple. And so they bought it and brought it home and it was little and cute. And over the years, it just grew and grew and grew. And it turns out it wasn't a dwarf. (laughs) And so, yeah, so, um, I I would like to get one of those myself now that I have my own house, and I would like to have a really cute little spot to plant it. But I want to know, how is there a way for me to confirm or tell, or is it just the reputation of the nursery or what? Well, basically, there are two different varieties. A regular Japanese maple, the one that's going to be the dwarf is the one that kind of looks like an umbrella. So, in other words, it's the height that the umbrella is basically right now whenever you purchase it. It's not going to get any taller than that. What's Mm -hmm. going to happen is going to get wider. I've been to people's homes that have these that, you know, are three or four or five feet high, but they're, you know, 10 or 12 feet across. So, the regular standard type Japanese maple, in other words, you want to get one that's Acer palmatum dissectum. That's going to be the one that looks like an umbrella. That's the only one that's going to stay really small. All the rest of them, they're okay. going to be there's smaller varieties, but they're still going to be kind of like standard ornamental type trees. In other words, any place uh-huh. between 15 to 20 feet high. Uh-huh. Well, how do I trim it? How do I know how to trim it to keep it from spreading 12 feet? That's I Well, don't it's going to take either. a long a, Yeah, a long time yeah. to do that just you know Place it in an area where it doesn't matter if it gets that big. But like I said, this, I mean, this is a very old tree. It's not going to happen in, right. within a few years. Well, is there, is there a way to trim it? You know, every yeah, year, you just can, look it over. Yeah, basically, you can just cut, you know, like the ends of the branches, just kind of, you know, cut a couple inches off every few years. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that is very interesting. That That should help me out a lot. And I have one more question. Um, I was listening earlier because I have this big row of yew bush that goes uh, along my front porch. And I noticed that underneath, I do have a northern exposure and it still manages to live. But underneath, there's like no leaves at all. It's like these long, empty branches and only the very top is green. Right. 
And one of one of the bushes is brown. Is that normal? Is that something I need to replace? Is there a way I can make this better? Somehow? No, basically, all the conifers will have a tendency to do that. So, in other words, mm. either on the interior, there's no needles because of the light, and with you know, with some of them, if the top gets wider than the bottom, then that reduces the amount of you know light, and then you're on the north mm. side, so. They're, they're just yeah. going to drop the needles off, and those buds that were the, where the needles were are no longer functional, so they can't push out any new growth. Uh, and if I were to just take the whole top off to shorten it, would that would that kill it effectively? Kill it? Yeah. What if I did that at the at the end at the fall? Yeah, everybody you know, would. When it was ready to, everybody would know Mary's Mary's shrubs are Charlie Brown shrubs. Scary. So in other words, you cut them back to the point where there's no needles left or there's very few, then they're going to the remaining needles are going to get sunburnt and it's you're heading them mm. downhill. Yeah, okay, you're describing my bushes. You 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 know they're wider at the top and right. narrower at the bottom and I didn't even realize to make sure when I trimmed them to not do that, but Right. Everybody okay. has a tendency to just cut them round them. Right. Okay. Well, I guess it would be a big job to take all these out, wouldn't it? Because the, the roots, if I wanted to take them out and replace it with something. Yeah, it probably would be. But you'd probably would get I a, have to like, hire somebody to... I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you'd probably have to, just like you were going to say, have to, a professional service come in and get them out. Mm-hmm. And they, and they could get them out by the roots. Yeah. Or effectively disintegrate the roots or whatever. Okay. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your help. Sure. My pleasure. And Mike Miller, KMY's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. South to Oakville, we're headed and into Sandy's yard. Hi, Sandy. Good morning, Mike. Thanks Hi. for taking my call. Sure. First time, first time caller, 40-year gardener. I started gardening as a brand-new bride, actually, the week before we, we uh, got married. At any rate... I have just the opposite problem um, with my hydrangea. I have wanted to plant hydrangea for 40 years. I did so. I planted five of them May 1st. They did fine um, for weeks, and they are the the blossoms are brown, and the leaves are starting to crunch. Um, I may have missed a little bit of watering. Uh, during the first heat wave because I was out of town, but I had my neighbor watering. At any rate, can I just chop them off like that that poor lady did accidentally with her peonies? Um, <laughs> I, I'm 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 having I'm having a, a big gathering at my house in a few weeks, and my hydrangea are pretty much a little pink and all brown as they look in the fall. Um, what can I do, Mike? Basically, can I just them down? everybody that comes to your house, give them rose-colored glasses and tell them if they're going to look ha, at the hydrages put on the rose color. No, I would say they're under stress just because they never really got established. They're still not established yet. So if you cut them off, that may slow the establishment. You can certainly give it a shot and try, but it's not ideal. So none of the, there's no green leaves on them at all? Oh, yes. The, the leaves are green um, all around the edges about uh, last week. It was a quarter inch. Now it's a half inch on each leaf. Um, we're only talking maybe like 
uh, 10% of each leaf, oh. if that, is brown on the tip. And then each big, beautiful, hot pink blossom looks brown. Okay, so just cut them. I got them from a local, mm-hmm, I got them from a local, you know, uh, reputable place. Right. And I'm just wondering if they weren't inexpensive, but I'm wondering, like azalea, are there different varieties that some are hardy, some, uh, you know, I'm just wondering, because your color said that hers are just beautiful, and I'm jealous. Well, I mean, hers is well-established, too. That's a certain dis- a certain different circumstance. But you can cut the brown foliage, you know, the brown flowers off. Just leave the foliage. I mean, each one. Okay. Okay, and then just just snip each flower like I'm going to deadhead uh, a, uh, a geranium or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. So just go you know an inch or two below where the the flower cluster is and just cut it off right there. Okay, and then just water and and pray. Uh, any nutrients or anything that would help these guys? Not during I mean, the summertime. You don't want to be fertilizing in, during the summer. So okay. And, I would just leave them alone, and uh, you know, hopefully you, the soil was improved and everything else because that's as important as fertilizing. Fertilizing is kind of more or less a cosmetic type thing if you don't have good, adequate soil. Okay, so snip them down, uh, water well, and then one other thing, um, another uh, H-word, uh, off my hydrangea onto my hosta. I live near um, the back of our yard, faces like a pretty thick woods, and of course the deer like the uh, salad that my hosta provides. Of course. So my neighbor is a hairdresser. So every week she saves me a bag of human hair. And I, for the first time in 25 years, my the deer are not chewing my hosta for lunch. Right. I mean, that is... Is that... It's the smell of the hair. Does Does... Does the hair work on anything else? Because they destroyed every year they eat my impatience at, as for lunch. The well, rabbits, I guess, or deer, or I don't know who eats that. <laughs> well, you give it a try. I mean, if it is, if it's effective in certain circumstances, it's not going to be effective necessarily always, because if the any kind of wildlife is desperate, they're going to go beyond what is normally. A, a situation that they would try to avoid because they're desperate. So, but for the most part, just give yeah. it a shot and see what happens. Gotcha. And for the first time in some pots around my patio, I have uh, I think it's verbena. Yeah, verbena. Now, how do you how do you deadhead verbena? Because they're they're affecting color. But how far down do I snip off uh, the verbena? Like when it joins the main the main stem, or how do I do that? Yeah, just so go down the second leaflet below where the flowers. I'm assuming you're talking about a cluster is finished blooming. Yes, 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 sir. Mm-hmm. Right. So just go down to the second leaflet below that and make all your cuts at a 45-degree angle, and that's all you need to do. Great. And can I use a little uh, scissors, or do I have to, like, do my my fingers? I've, I have so many of these pots. Can I use a little snipping? Oh, heavens, here? yes. Don't use your fingers. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mike. And I just love your program. And, and I listen almost every week. Uh, I'm a nurse. Uh, unless I used to be on a weekend shift, I wouldn't listen. But I, I am devoted to you. So please don't go away. Okay? <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> Greatly appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Bye. Sure. And now let's head over to Redbud, Redbud, Illinois, and see what's going on with Jason. Hi, Jason. 
Hi, Mike. Hey, I just really love the show. Um, I had a, a question. We we started at the beginning of COVID. We didn't. We have property, and we started clearing out heavy dense woods. Got it all cleared out. It's on a hillside. It's. I, we still have some of the trees. Planted grass. I started the grass piece. So I, I didn't fertilize the soil, but I, I planted seed at the end of last year. We had a little bit come up. I started. I overseeded again uh, two weeks ago. And there's spots where the grass is coming up, and and there's spots where it's still it's still bare. So I don't know if I, I just need to seed more or if I need to give it more time, if I need to fertilizer and watering. So that's like three questions in one there. Uh, I just wanted to see what you thought. Yeah, basically this time of year is crazy to put grass seed down. You cannot okay. make it. You That's ba- the be- ideal time to do that would be late April, early May. But the real, the best time of year is the September for putting grass seed down. Also, if you've got existing trees on this in this scenario, lawn is going to have a really difficult time getting established. I mean, the seed will germinate, but to be established is going to be tough because of the tree roots. It's not the shade is important, but the tree roots are a real competition for anything, especially like seeded. So just realize that that's you know the situation too. Okay, what about watering this time of the year? Um, somebody said that I, I don't want to wait until it's closer to the dew, like maybe about three thirty, four o'clock, and then I wasn't sure that time versus you know say seven in the morning. That seven kind of thing. in the morning is by far the best because depending, it doesn't really matter what kind of seed you put down. You f- get it moist and everything else. We go into nighttime. That's ideal for fungus growth. Okay. Okay. So water early okay. in the morning. You know, I water generally, you know, around noon, but that's just, you know, my particular scenario. But don't water at the end of the day. Do you let it come up higher? Because somebody else had mentioned that the the seeds that come off the grass can can germinate. So I was wondering if I should let it, instead of cutting it, you know, right away, if I should let it come up and kind of fold over a little bit. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Because that seed that's producing is probably not going to be functional seed. As far as being okay. able, so it's not going to drop seed, and all of a sudden you're going to have a whole colony of just seed that you've grown yourself. Right, Mike. I could ask you another hundred questions. So, is there a site out there that is specific for, like, if you would, if you were talking to someone and they said, "Hey, let me let me turn you on to this site to get information that's that's valuable," because you know you go to Google and there's five million sites <laughs> that you can look at. Right. Do you have any suggestions on like a site that you would suggest that? you would recommend to somebody that's kind of just getting into, you know, uh, gardening and that and grass growing and that sort of thing? Yes, Missouri Botanical Garden. Okay. So MoBot, so M-O-B-O-T dot O-R-G, MoBot dot org. Okay. All right. Well, I really love your show, and my wife and I, we started with COVID. We started, we weren't doing, we were playing pickleball all the time, (laughs) and we started last year with COVID, getting our property uh, going. And I can't explain the difference in our life that that's made. You know, we have about 17 acres, three acres we maintain. And just being out there and seeing the product, you know, the productive of your work and and seeing it pay off and and then learning all these things. And your show is just such a value add. I'm just very grateful for you. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, let's go over to Karen's yard, and she lives in Webster Groves. Hi, Karen. Good morning, Mike. 
Mike. Hi. Hey, Mike. I have a. Uh, I had a small patch of clover. Now it's spreading and it's coming all over my yard, my lawn. What can I do to control the clover? Are you? I mean, using an herbicide is the best thing you can do. You, I can do that now. Uh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Do you recommend any certain type of herbicide? Well, just make sure you go to your favorite garden center and tell them that you've got clover and let them recommend whatever, you know, the best thing they have in stock as opposed to me giving you a name and they go, well, we don't carry that one or whatever it happens to be. So just make sure the label says it kills clover. Okay. And it's Very still, good. yeah, and still it's not going to be one application type thing. It's going to take probably a couple of years, you know, to get, get it all eradicated. Well, how often can I put an application down? I, uh, you know, you can't put it down really often. Probably once a month would be during the growing season. Once things start slowing down, there's no reason to put an herbicide on it. Once we get past, let's say September or something, because it's going to be ineffective. So when it's actively growing, let's say mid to late April, all the way through mid to late September, that would be the time to do any kind of application of an herbicide. Okay, great. Thanks for your help, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. Now, that's the you know, post-emergent. So, in other words, that's actively growing weed control. Pre-emergent is not earlier than or It's a different circumstance. Let's see. Where should we go? Let's go over to Maryville and into Joel's yard. Hi, Joel. Hi, Mike. Thank Hi. you. Um, two abrovites that I planted uh, seven years ago. They're about eight foot tall now, three foot at the wide part. About 11 feet apart, one is browning, the other is not, and uh, I don't know, is there anything I can do to either stop the browning on the one browning or to prevent it from uh, getting the good one? Well, uh, also, will these browned areas ever green out again? No, they will not. And also, the one that's, you know, is it brown all the way to the ends of the tips of the branches? Yeah, yeah, it's it's brown and and uh, pretty much on the sun side, but the good one is on the sun side is not browning, and I I just uh, hate to lose it, but I just uh, what happened? Yeah, well, it could be you know the way it was planted related to the weather. It could be several different factors. I mean, arborvitae they're tough, they're durable, and everything else. It's they still can have problems even after they've been as you know let's say well established for several years like yours has so consequently there's not too much you can do to, to revert it to change it to prevent it from having if the other one hasn't had it happen yet that doesn't necessarily mean it won't happen a couple years from now but right now there's nothing that you can do that's going to make little difference to the good one at all and the one that's already t- starting to turn brown there's really nothing you can do that's going to make a major change to it do you think the one that is browning now will eventually just total out? Yes, more than likely. It'll probably be a slow process. That's not to say that it will, but that's more than likely what's going to happen. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Sure. Sorry. I wish I had magical incantations, but I don't. Laura from Glendale, could you do it kind of quickly? Yeah. Um, I have uh, bulbs that didn't get planted. Can I just keep those till next year? You mean like tulips and daffodils? 
Yeah, that are in their package. Uh, I've never opened them. Well, I would, you know, you're taking a big chance with it if you didn't, you know, didn't plant them. But uh, just make sure if when you do plant them, let's say this fall, you feel them and see if they're firm because they may just dehydrate and become nothing. Okay. Then my next question is, I have a two-year-old blazing maple, and I'd like to put a just a small uh, retaining wall around it, not a tall one, just like, you know, maybe five inches, so I can put daffodils in there. I had them there, but the roots have pushed them all up. And so I know you're not supposed to put dirt around the trunk. Right. Can I put it on top of the feeder roots? The feeder roots don't matter. I mean, it does. It could impact it. But definitely you cannot pile dirt up on the trunk. You can't do that whatsoever. So you're still taking a big chance on whatever happened previously is going to happen again. Well, I was just going to put a ring around the trunk. Right, I understand. To keep the dirt away. Right. Okay. All right. And then the brown hydrangeas, just FYI. I can never cut mine off because I get so many birds that come and eat off of those that I have so much fun watching them. I can never cut them off. All right. Well, that sounds perfect. All right. Thanks a lot. I love the show. Well, thank you for having me on your show. And and Mary and Larry, sorry, we're running out of time. We're not going to be able to get to you. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll be back next week. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week, unless Brian Kelly takes over the show. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.